Welcome to the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Empey and Richard Bott. Hello and welcome to the Veloce Podcast. So we're on episode 33 and for anybody who's not just listening but also watching, they'll notice we're in a different setting today. Different venue today, yeah. So excuse um, where we are. I mean, hopefully people will like it. We're in a a four-wheel drive 911, 992, um, and you will notice we're not in our normal kit, let's say, um, but that's because we're doing an event for TAG today. So, um, but a bit later on, aren't we? So a we've later, yes. taken an opportunity to, uh, yeah, um, film and be with you guys instead. So um, what have you been up to this week, aside from what we're doing now? <laughs> so, um, well, fa- fairly sort of standardy stuff. So we've been doing a bit, a few bits and pieces uh, Port Experience Centre. Yeah. Um, we've been putting together um, some sponsorship proposals for racing for next year. Yeah, so, we, so there's a bit of that going on. Quite we're, exciting behind the scenes. Yeah, well, um, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> if, it, if it works. A bit, a bit, well, yeah, we can't say too much about it yet, but there's some deals going on behind the scenes. So yeah. fingers crossed so that we'll all goes to plan. On um, there was one thing that was a bit of a bummer from my side. So... Um, you get categorised uh, with the FIA with a licence, and I'm a silver. Um, and <laughs> bizarrely, I want to be a bronze, which you'd think it would be the other yeah, way you around. You would think you want to be higher, wouldn't you? But actually, um, you get more opportunities as a bronze if you're a fast bronze than a fast silver, because there's loads of fast silvers, basically. There isn't so many fast bronze. Um, so we're trying to appeal that at the moment, aren't we, to see if we can get me a bronze, yeah. only because... Um, I know other people in the industry with the same experience as me, pretty much, and they're bronze. So um, we want to see if, if genuinely I can be. Um, if so, there might be more news with that as well to come. Yeah, so, we'll see. So we'll, we'll wait try. and see. But yeah, and then we've been working on the academy as well, haven't we? Yes. Uh, yes. You've is, been doing more of that than me, to be fair. Yeah, so um, that's really for all sorts of all sorts of people from um, anybody who's up and coming, coming out of carts, who are already racing want to progress and do the whole hog and make it a career to people that are doing it for fun but want to get the most out of it as well so yeah so we're getting the right team of people together from a mind coach to a fitness coach nutritionist um us as well of course on the driving side so yeah so lots lots going on there which uh yeah it's all exciting so we will announce things as we go along so if we go on to road cars then rich so yeah porsche mission r then yeah so we've been talking about how um about the future of electric cars and you know the future of the industry and that kind of stuff and i've always said that once people like porsche start to make electric cars they will make very good drivers electric cars because that's what they're all about mm. we've been a little bit stuck with things like teslas which go really really fast and that's about it um you know <laughs> well, they really... to be fair they i have one th- can i jump in yeah. sorry 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 um they do handle quite well though don't they they've got a lower center of gravity than what we're in right now an i11 um so they've managed to put the batteries as low as possible haven't they so for its weight two tons it does handle quite well doesn't it yeah but i know what you're saying it's yeah. not going to ever be like this no no it? it's not a driver's car really. it's yeah it's it's for so, what it is at the moment that's what that's that's your choice if you want an electric car so but porsche have now announced this thing called a mission r and essentially what it is it's a it's a boxster cayman sized car uh, it's a racing car it's got a lot of power so it's got like 600 horsepower at the back and 400 at the front because it's got two electric motors but what they've done is with it is they've put the batteries where the engine would have been in a in a boxing cabin so right smack in the middle concentrated so it will handle and behave like a mid-engine sports car 
Um, and I mean, the, the, the last time they built a concept like this was the what is now the Taycan. So you know they, they're very good at kind of this is what we're gonna this is what we can do, and then a few years later, hey presto, there it is. So Absolutely. so essentially that's what they're what they're looking at doing, and it's focused very much on being a driver's car, not just an electric yeah. car, not just being fast and that being its only thing it does. Yeah. Um, so really quite exciting, really that, 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 that they've done this. We've talked a lot on the pod about Porsche's synthetic fuel, and they've mm -hmm. now started to build the factory for that in Chile. Mm. Um, I have that. I, didn't yeah, know that. I know there was an announcement with Formula One, but I actually didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they've started to build their factory. So so Porsche, obviously, we, we, we've said before, they, they bought um, um, into... I can't think what it's called, that guy in the Czech Republic who builds... Yeah, is it Rimac? Is that his name? Oh, yes. Um, yes, I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah, so they bought into that for the electric drivetrains, uh, but obviously they're doing the synthetic fuel as well. Because that, so yeah. th what this is leading on to is electrification of the 911, because mm. everybody's terrified. Anybody who's a Porsche well, a enthusiast big... is terrified of the electrifying the 911. Well, we get asked it all the time. Um, will everything end up being electric? Will the 911 end up being electric? It's pretty frequently, you know, we get asked that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I guess the short answer is, at the moment, yes. Because yeah. there's no choice. So, but what Porsche have done is the the current car that we're sat in now. There's mountings on the gearbox for of this car for an electric motor. Yeah. So they've already got it in mind that it's the next generation is going to be hybrid, but it'll be the last thing that they do. So, coming up, we've got uh, obviously Boxer Cayman, as we've talked about with Mission R. Um, I think fully electric um, Macan and fully yeah. electric KNs. Certainly, the net's going to be the next things. I think. Yeah. Um, 9.11 is going to be last. So the, the moment they're looking at 2028 by the time it will be yeah. fully electric and things um, may have changed by then. Exactly. And I, I think that's exactly what they think. Um, you know, why are they investing in this fully synthetic fuel if they really honestly believe the solution is electric and everybody in the market will want electric. It shows to me that not everybody necessarily want, will want to go electric um, and might not feel it's the, the only solution as well. And I think in cities, electric can work very well, um, but also, of course, this is Porsche. All the performance brands need to keep that excitement going, the handling of the car, and of course, in the past and still, sound, the noise. You yeah. know, when we start this up, it makes you smile. It instantly um, has that connection with you. And I think, personally, electric cars at the moment are a bit soulless, so they can be very clever tools but they just don't quite have much soul and as richard was saying overall they're a one-trick pony where pretty much they're fast in a straight line right and they've got amazing torque at the bottom end and even though yes like porsche have done they've lowered the batteries to improve the handling it's never it's always compromised isn't it it's not really like something like this and the thing is with people like porsche and bmw and mercedes You've almost got to trust them a little bit that they will they will build cars that you'll want to buy because mm. um, bmw have done it now with the three series where there's an all electric three series i think it's called an i3 i could be wrong um but it looks like a three series uh, and by all accounts it's a pretty cool bit of kit you yeah, know absolutely. Um, and it's not you know because bmw they're about driver's cars in the same way um and you've just you've just got to give them a chance because i've always said that once the germans get involved it'll be a game changer for electric cars and we saw that a little bit with that born yeah absolutely. where we quite like the born yeah. Yeah, it's that's, essentially that's a German a car, really. I know it's a Cupra, but yeah, um, Cupra, but, yeah but it's originated okay. from VW. You yeah. can see, yeah, you can see it's um, 
people are starting to think, right, okay, how do we make these sexy? How do we make these appealing to everybody? Because, of course, for people that don't, aren't into cars, it's not such a big deal to go to electric. No. And if you, if you are in a city where you're in a position where you've got the infrastructure and you don't do many miles, then you can see why people go for it. But we obviously have a lot of clients that are into those arriving. They also do a lot of miles and they struggle with infrastructure. Um, so I think these are all things that have got to be overcome. And I think many manufacturers are prepared that electric will be here to stay, but it won't be the only um, solution no, for no, us. Like so, I said, things might change by then. Yeah, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But we're pretty optimistic that we're going to have both. I think we will. I, I know, obviously, government um, are talking about solely electric cars but i do think obviously if you can get something greener then what's the argument yeah, so totally, yeah. so yeah so let's wait and see hey so moving on to driving then so of course we talk a little bit about driving tips so we thought this week we'd talk about understeer and oversteer yeah um, which, not a deep dive just to kind of no, touch on it a bit really. a lot of people um that are even into driving will come out with us and quite often they're a bit confused of understeer and oversteer they've heard of the terms but when you start asking a little bit more behind that, most people aren't really sure what it means or what to do. So this is what we just want to fill in the yeah. gaps, really, don't we? And one of the problems that we have as driver trainers is is finding somewhere where you can let people experiment with this stuff. Uh, and we're actually working on a programme, aren't we, for next year, where we can take people, mm. it's not in the UK, yeah. but we can take people to a place where you can spend four or five hours on the limit yeah over the limit if you want yeah. yeah because there isn't any way you can do that and it's the only way you can learn somebody it's very difficult for somebody to teach you car control yeah they can tell you what to do mm. but you've got to make the connections and you've got to work out what you're feeling and how you're affecting things as a driver and you know if i do that this happens you know you've got to do that 20 times before you start to work out oh right hang on a minute Absolutely. that's happening yeah and there's no substitute for that you've Absolutely. got to go and do it well i often say it's a bit like any other sport right you can watch it you can understand it but going to do it, it'd be like me watching football, for example. I could watch it over and over and over and over, understand the game, start to understand the technique, but actually doing it is another thing. So you have to put everything together, basically. But like I said, a lot of people honestly have heard of the terms understeer and oversteer, but often aren't sure what they are. So should we start with understeer? Start then? with understeer then, yeah. So understeer is the most common type of skid that you'll come across because it's... It, what you're in is essentially a big lump of weight <laughs> that yeah. only really wants to go in a straight line so when you get to try and try and make it change direction that's actually quite physically quite a hard thing for a car to do so what it wants to do is resist that and go forwards so when you turn the steering wheel and the car doesn't react as much as you want it to um it, by whatever degree even if it's only slight that's understeer because it's understeering it's steering less than you've asked for it it's essentially a front wheel skid so you turn and the car goes not quite where you wanted to, or by you know the biblical oh, bit of honesty. Yeah. Massively, nothing's <laughs> I've happening. I've had that before. <laughs> when you go straight. <laughs> yeah, um, and with skidding, quite often what we try and tell people to do is you've got to try and remove the cause. Mm. Um, now, if that's speed, that can be quite a. Diff it's not as straightforward as you, you've got to do that gently. There's ways and means of doing it, mm. but with understeer, generally speed causes it and too much throttle. Mm. So people want to turn, and this is again very common. They want to try and get on it. You know, start accelerating out the corner too early. And of course, the car's trying to change direction still. So if you start to accelerate, it's like doing a wheelie. You're taking the you're taking the weight away from the front of the car, which is the bit that's trying to do the work. So it's getting less and less grip, and it's going to start understeering more and more and more. So you've got to remove the cause. You've got to come back off the throttle again. 
that, that is kind of a fairly simple way of, of, of thinking about it. But you've got to do it slowly. If you jump off the throttle, you, you can upset the balance of the car and cause other issues. So you've got to make sure that, you, that you're easing the throttle off. Is yeah. the first thing. Otherwise, you can end up with the next thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah but the other very, very common thing you get with understeer is people. When it starts to understeer, people apply more steering. Yeah. All that does is make it worse. And it's, it's quite very, common, very counterintuitive to, yeah. to do anything else. But absolutely, because you can't help it. You can't no. Help it and you think, oh, I need to go over there. So of course, your natural reaction yeah. is to keep turning. Yeah, because that's what makes it go over there. Yeah, but obviously, if you've lost all traction, doesn't matter what you do with the wheel until we regain that traction, nothing's going to happen. Um, and that's yeah. So exactly you've got to ease the throttle and come back to where you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that it, takes a bit of practice. And and it takes practice to identify it early as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Because yeah. quite often when people are learning they can have quite a lot of understeer before they've recognized they've got it um, so with practice if the car isn't changing direction very sharply then and it feels like it's lazily turning in then um, yeah the chances are you're, you're getting a little bit of understeer so you've got to think about your timing what are you doing with your right foot are you actually on the gas a bit more than you think you are or is it static that yeah. kind of thing so um, and, and having patience really yeah patience. and if it's because you've gone in too quick you're gonna to have to try and open out the steering yeah try and take some of the cornering load out and gently squeeze some brake on you yeah. know it depends how much how severe it is yeah but removing the cause is the first thing which is either going to be removing the throttle or trying to remove the the the, the, the speed but either of those things you want to open out try and get rid of the cornering load if you can Absolutely. open out the steering a bit and another way just think about the weight is like having water in here isn't it so if yeah. anybody watching this okay you have to use your imagination if you're listening but uh, imagine water just half in the cabin and that sort of represents your weight, doesn't it? Mm. So if you accelerate, that water shifts to the back. When you brake, it shifts to the nose. Um, so it's another way of appreciating. So if it's pushing on on the nose, why? Is there too much weight on the back? Probably, um, you know, accelerate, as Rich says, accelerating too much, being just a little bit too greedy, all going in too hot. And of course, it, that momentum of the car trying to rotate. And of course, you're going in really quick, aren't you? So yeah. it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those where it's very common. It happens a lot with um, front wheel drive as well, doesn't it? Um, because it naturally wants to push forwards a bit anyway when people yeah. accelerate a lot. Everything will understeer, but, but yeah. it's, you know, it's more prevalent, with, especially on the throttle with front wheel drive, yeah, which leads us on to oversteer. Yeah. Because <laughs> oversteer uh, is obviously that when you turn and the car reacts more than you asked it for. So it's, it's oversteered. It's, yeah. It's a back wheel skid, the back, the back end's gone, essentially. Mm -hmm. So in a front-wheel drive car, you're much, much less likely to experience it. But what will tend to cause it in a front-wheel drive car is if you suddenly lift off the middle of a corner and unbalance mm. the thing, the back can start to go then. So we said we're about to remove the cause. You've coming off the throttle was what caused it, so put the throttle back on again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really dead easy to sort in a front-wheel drive car. Yeah, but it's hard to do, isn't it? Um, especially when the car is starting to go. Um, it's really hard to do. You yes. just have to go back to the throttle. Now, when people are learning, especially during track days, it's so easy to think, oh, I've gone in too fast, lift. And with a lot of momentum, unfortunately, even in a front wheel drive, the weight pitches and the back loses traction and bang, it starts to go. Um, and at that point, um, yeah, <laughs> you've really got to get back on the power. Well, I guess you'll go through the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, no, well, that, well, that's kind of, all wheel drives the same, really. You know, the, the throttle will, will induce understeer, probably, so it'll actually start to cure the, the oversteer. Um, with a rear wheel drive car, it gets a lot more difficult because the problem you have with a rear wheel drive car, if you've gone in too quickly, you've got the same options. You can open out the steering and squeeze the brake on. If you've caused it by putting too much throttle on, 
you've probably got you've got an issue now because the thing is if you come off the throttle what you'll get is load of engine braking mm -hmm. <laughs> which can make it worse keep on the throttle you keep getting wheel spin which makes it worse so it's, it's more difficult to manage yeah. in a rear-wheel drive car yeah i often say you, you have to with a real drive manage the power to the, the grip available really yeah. so let's say it's it's snowy for example you would still use a little bit of power because you want forward momentum to get you out of the skid and you also want weight over the rear to push the rear wheels down to generate some traction but too much and it's going to generate wheel spin which is what you just said isn't yeah. it um, and of course lifting is no good either because then bang that weight pitches forward you're stuck then you're reducing momentum you're stuck in the situation it starts to rotate round so yeah it's it's that fine balance whereas actually with a four-wheel drive and a front-wheel drive <laughs> not that you would but if you even you buried your foot on the throttle it's not going to have the consequences the rear-wheel drive would no, that's no. the thing so it's a bit more precision involved isn't there and the final thing to add to it then really is that you need to steer where you want to go so not where the car's going necessarily but where you want the, to be going uh, and that can be quite a common thing then is if you try and um look out the, you know, the car's going over towards that bush over there I'll, I'll look at the bush that's where you'll end up going you've got to look where you want the car to be going next absolutely and allow your hands to follow your eyes yeah um, because a lot of people even when you say that um a lot of people say well where where do i steer though so where where's the back going and where do i steer um, but it is actually that simple as long as you always look where you want to go you don't even need to think about the back because if the nose is pointing off to the right and you need to bring it back to center you're steering into the skid anyway mm. <laughs> that's the thing yeah. so but in in simple terms if people want to know the answer is if the rear was to go left you steer left if the rear Basically, goes right yeah. you steer right but it's much more intuitive if you can actually just look, focus on where you need to go and steer that direction, because you will naturally correct and straighten up much quicker as well. So, plus it stops you looking where you don't want to go, because unfortunately it's That's very it easy goes wrong quite often, to look that, where that, you that don't want to there. go. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see a tree, um, uh, an oncoming car, it could be anything, and you look there, and then of course before you know it, your hands are following your eyes, and next minute you're there. Plus you're more likely to lift or break if you're looking where you don't want to go. Whereas if you look where you want to go, hopefully you think, well, I'll need to get there. So it's more instinctive again. And you want this to be as natural as possible and as simple as possible because you don't have much time to rectify the problem, ultimately. There so yeah, go. so yeah, hopefully, are. well, prevention is better than cure. That's the main thing to remember. Yeah, don't be so, in a skid. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way Yeah, so yeah. hopefully don't be in a skid at all. But that's in a nutshell. We're going to do more videos on understeer and oversteer anyway on track and things, aren't we? So we're going to do... Um, and also um, a dynamic pad as well. So we'll, we'll go through that, we'll demonstrate that a little bit more so people can actually watch it as well. So actually inducing it and then how to rectify it and then how to prevent it. So um, yeah, just so everybody gets to see each stage really. So if we move on to motorsport then, yeah. um, so we had, didn't we last weekend, or sorry, weekend before now, yeah. because it was slightly late with the podcast. Um, unfortunately, I was very, very busy uh, at the weekend, so we're slightly behind, we so we're do doing it. it on the Monday instead. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is old so, hat now. Yeah, so Turkish Grand Prix, so. Yes, um, which is quite an interesting race to watch. It was a bit of a slow burn because um, it was it was wet and it always amazes me because I've been only, I've been to Turkey on holiday and it's blazing hot the entire time yet the last two Turkish Grand Prix have been pouring wet and cold yeah and... <laughs> well absolutely because the, the previous year in 2020 it was even worse it was it? yeah it was really heavy heavy rain so yeah, it drizzled so... throughout so it was actually more like Brands Hatch than it was <laughs> yeah Istanbul Park or whatever it's called but it's always nice 
in the wet in some respects because it mixes up the grid um, because of course uh, the power advantage that some of the manufacturers have um, is less of a gain in the wet um, so it does mix it up it gives, yeah. it gives chance for some of the other manufacturers um, to come in and, and, and really try and get towards the front um, so it was interesting watching Lewis because he obviously had to start further down he had that um, uh, 10 great uh, 10 grid place <laughs> ten yeah, place. ten place. Good penalty. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's the one. Um, so he started what eleven because he was started, on, yeah. meant to be on pole, wasn't he? Um, so it was interesting watching him sort of come through. But I think for me, for anybody who watched it, Carlos Sainz was, a, he was the, the man of exciting, the day. Yeah. Really, yeah. Um, he was just phenomenal in the traffic. But it really showed how the setup changes really affect the car. So with Carlos Sainz they'd put a lot of aero on they knew he was going to start at the back um because again what did he have a gearbox yeah, com no, complete new engine oh was it okay rather so, than just so lewis only had one component where yeah. carlos had all of it yeah so he had to start at the, on the back road didn't he mm. and work his way through so of course they they set the car up for that situation and he was absolutely on fire whereas his teammate leclerc They've um, run a really low downforce, haven't they? Mm. Um, and he was really struggling with that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, Trying yeah. to get, keep a like, hang of it, really. But at one point, in fairness to him, it looked like he could win the race. Yeah, he it? led for a bit. Um, but he didn't know, because they all started on intermediate tyres, and he didn't, he didn't try to go to the end. Yeah. But once, because Valtteri, who was leading the race, dominated it, really. He drove brilliantly, did Valtteri. Came in and put new inters on and caught him very quickly. So we think he thought, oh, I'll just, I won't bother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, I mean, I can see why they went for it because they kind of had nothing to lose in that situation. They were leaving. Why not try? Um, and of course, there is this question towards the end of with Lewis. So, Lewis, I didn't uh, honestly know that the regulations, if you are on a wet or intermediate, you don't have to pit, but you do if it's a dry tyre. Um, so, yeah. of course, there, there was this question of, do I need to pit? So, um, Leclerc was the first, wasn't he, to ask that question. He yes. obviously remembered that from a brief in the past, so he was clarifying that. And then you heard Lewis on the radio, didn't you? Um, and what do you think? Do you think it was the right call for him to, I think it to was. come in? I think it was. Well, well what happened, to the problem that they have with the Inters, and again, you find this out just from watching the thing, um, is that they go through a draining period. So they're really good for a bit, and then they go really terrible, mm. and then they get better again. Um, so what Leclerc did was he, he, as soon as Bottas passed him, he pitted and put new ones on. And he was quick for a bit. Then all of a sudden, he, he seemed to be really struggling. Yeah. And Lewis was catching him like, something like ridiculous, like four or five seconds yeah. a lap. Yeah, it was a lot. And then all of a sudden, they came back in. So Lewis argued with the team. He, they actually told him to pit, and he said, well, I'm going to stay out. And eventually, um, the, the tyres got worse, so they decided to pit him. Mm. Because it was too late then, because the tyres hadn't gone through their graining phase. Mm. So he ended up really struggling at the end. But Jensen Button was, Jensen Button was filling in for Martin Brundle. And the thing was that, that um, when... Lewis went into pit. He was very calm on the radio. So Jensen Button said, "I don't think he realises he's just lost a load of places." Yeah. So of course, next thing you know, he exploded on the yeah, radio, didn't he? He hadn't. He, I think he thought he could man, get in and out. Just got to say, man, to everybody else. <laughs> Fitting me late, man. Uh, yeah, with a few beeps in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think he thought he could get in and out and not lose a position. But I actually um, followed Karen Chandock, and he showed a picture of Lewis's tyres, which were swapped off at the end and there were massive lumps gone. I mean, it was right down to the canvas. So I think they did make the right decision because even though I think they lost five more points, didn't they, in the end by pitting him. 
but in the grand scheme of things, if he'd had a tyre blowout, and that was the question, wasn't it? Can these Pirellis make it to the end without stopping at all? And nobody really knew. And I can see why Mercedes, with their experience, thought, OK, we're going to sacrifice some points, but we're still leading the championship. Whereas if there's a tyre blowout, game over. Mm -hmm. And of course, then uh, Verstappen will be leading the championship. So I think they showed some maturity in a difficult situation. And to be fair to Lewis, when he came in, he was much, much calmer, wasn't he? Once he'd well, realised yeah. what had happened, because the driver can only see it through their eyes. And when they're, they're full of adrenaline, the they're, they're not going to be polite. Because yeah. you know, anybody um, thinks, oh, he's shouting at the team. But he's not. It's yeah. just that, you know. Because the adrenaline is, uh, I mean, it does, it changes you, doesn't it, in mm. a way? Because you're really, it's like having red mist almost, isn't it? It's just, yeah. you're so pumped up with it. And of course, there is a lot of pressure on their shoulders to perform all the time. And of course, he knows how to win championships and he knows every race counts. And from his side, he didn't really recognise how bad the tyres were till afterwards. So, because he, he's such a good driver, he could drive around it to a point, mm. couldn't he? And manage it, but of course the blowout is not something you can manage. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think it was a tricky one, but um, yeah, I was pleased for Carlos Sainz. He got driver of the day, didn't he, with his yeah. overtakes. And I can't remember how many places he gained in the end, yeah, but it was, it, was, um, yeah. it was a lot. So I thought he did really well. And I know I've said it a few times, but he's proving to me what a special driver he is. And I think he should be more recognized as one of the elite than he seems to at the moment. He mm. seems to always be, the underdog or off the radar somehow um but i know martin brundle said that didn't he that he thinks carlos is one of the best drivers he's ever seen but is totally under the radar um and i think he's showing himself against people like leclerc who is an incredibly special talent um how how quick he is really mm, yeah, so um no, yeah so uh yeah we, there is there's been other racing going on but we don't want to go we were going to uh, mention some of the gt stuff that's happened as well but to be honest, we could be here for hours. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to bore you to tears. So the top of it is that Max is back in the lead of the championship and they're in no. Texas, aren't they? Lewis is leading the championship. Is he? Well, I'm pretty sure he is, yeah. I don't think he is. Well, that's what um, that's what David Coulthard said at the end. He's still leading the championship. We need to check ah, that Yeah, so oh, please correct <laughs> us. So, so, so Richard thinks it's Max. <laughs> I think it's Lewis. But I think the margin is much closer. I believe Lewis is still leading. Um, but we will, yeah, you can let us know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about the interactive question then? So he's following on a bit from last week. So I, I, so I think he was. We, we talked about um, something to do with drivers last time. I can't remember what we asked last time. What did we ask last time? The coach. What driver coach? Oh, driver coach. So, I, so, my, so my question this week was, following on from that, who would you like to sit down and talk to about driving technique? That's kind of the same question. Well, <laughs> well they're not coaching you. You're just going to okay. talk to them about it. Um, okay, so um, for me then, do you know what? I would, I would actually love to go back to a different era uh, and probably sit and talk to somebody like Jackie Stewart. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, and get because I've watched um, that documentary on him. I've obviously watched a lot of stuff with with him on, and um, yeah, I, I would love to just go back to when he was driving in his prime and sit and talk. You know, those cars were not only incredibly fast but incredibly dangerous and I think back then you did have to have a little bit of a different mindset to today um, so I'd love to sort of find out more about how he worked and 
what he figured out with the driving side of things because he was very much about smoothness, finesse. Um, he used to apparently put like um, stick something on the bonnet and put a, yeah. a ball in it or ball, an egg in it or something. Ball, yeah, yeah. Um, and you had to keep it in there. Um, so he did a lot of things and he obviously pushed to improve safety as well. So yeah, for me, I think it'd have to be Jackie Stewart. No, that's interesting because I was thinking in, along the similar lines really, the one person that I think if he could if he could have a driving technique like anybody else's, it would be Alan Prost. Oh, okay, yeah. For a similar reason, really, where he just looks so unriffled. And sometimes the team would think, come on, Alan, get on with it. And they'd look and he'd be under the lap record, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you think, oh, right, okay, he's flying. <laughs> well, when you think, I mean, he hassled um, Ayrton Senna yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, he did, yeah. And, um, uh, he, was, he was always sort of seen as the, the brighter of the two. Ayrton was... Um, had so much natural ability i'm not saying he didn't work very hard at it that's not true but yeah i think uh pros is a or is a real thinking man yes yeah really so yeah, yeah. So, okay yeah, cool. but let us know let's know what who you would sit down and have a chat um about driving with um whether it obviously it doesn't have to be a racing driver it could be a journalist it could be something like jeremy clarkson who knows but yeah let us know and then next week well next week being this week <laughs> now, being this week now um yeah. so obviously we're porsche at the moment doing a, a tag event today um but later in the week also we're at millbrook and donnington park yeah um, and of course there's a Grand Prix this coming weekend. Is, so Texas, yeah. um so we'll we'll discuss a bit about that. We might mix some other motorsport in it as well. Um and yes, and we'll announce, as we've mentioned many times, some of the people that are coming up on the show very shortly. So until next time, we will see you later. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Veloce Podcast, Fast and Fluid Conversation with Kat MP and Richard Bott. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and never miss an episode of the Veloce Podcast.